0: AVXL episode 138 was recorded on May 6, 2021. HiSense reveals their 2021 TV lineup, monoprice monolith amps. Robert has gaming monitor lust. Atmos versus Cathedral ceilings. Is it time to upgrade that 4K UHD projector? And you probably have too many streaming services. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports AVXL at patreon.com/slash AVXL. Your monthly contributions make it possible for us to bring the show
1: to you testing one two three all right i'm not blowing anything out
0: ignorant weasels chewing on your soul
1: ignorant weasels
0: do you have speed yeah welcome to AV Accelerator, guide to the best in home video and audio gear no matter what your budget is i have headphone issues in a good way but we won't talk about that maybe next week robert you should talk because i'm Excellent.
1: I'm out of control. I'm out of control, man. (laughs) I'm excited, man. So much good stuff on TV right now. Well, at least sporting. Sporting stuff I am enjoying. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yes. I'm binging motorsports, and I'll talk about that later. You just made me realize the one thing
0: I really wanted to talk about briefly so as not to uh, have possibilities of spoilers And it's this amazing movie, and I suddenly cannot remember the name of it. I hate that. I hate that feeling. I do. Hey, Seamus, what's the name of that movie I love?
1: There you go. (laughs) The personal digital assistant.
0: Both my sons are in the middle of their prescribed, allotted, measured gaming time for the day, and uh, it was really cruel of me to shout that out. I was thinking of the Mitchells versus the Machines, by the way, which is absolutely, utterly delightful, and I look forward to seeing more work from uh, Mike Rianda, the director, in the future. It's hysterical. If you are nerdly or geeky in any way, it is profoundly hysterical. It also has a couple of the funniest slags on the tech industry's relationship to privacy
1: uh, that I think I've ever heard in my life. Ain't nobody looking after your privacy except for you. But we're looking out for your experience, the best one you can have. We, you know, If you want to
0: spend $40,000 on speakers, we can help you. If you want to get the best deal on an inexpensive television, we can help you. More on the latter than the former, uh, Hisense. Not to say that Hisense doesn't make some fantastic high-end TVs. They're just not the most fantastic. I'm just going to keep digging this hole until you point and laugh because my head is underground. But they had a virtual event to launch the 2021 uh, television lineup. And I think the two that caught your eye were the
1: U8G and the U9DG. U9DG, baby. Yeah. Their event was great in the sense that it just threw out what they're doing for 2021. And it includes a variety of value on up to their super premium U9DG, which will be the first time the company, as far as I know, at least in the United States, Mm -hmm. they're selling something called a dual cell 4K screen. And what this is effectively is placing a 1080p screen behind the 4k screen on the front and that 1080p screen works in conjunction with the backlighting system to provide two million local dimming zones for that 4k screen so while it is not an oled i have seen and so have you we have looked at these prototypes at trade shows long past showing off this dual cell design The contrast was fantastic when it goes black it is as dark as can be because it is literally gating off that light and because there are literally two million local dimming zones what effectively is a a 1080p resolution screen with about two million Mm -hmm. pixels that makes for a nice light valve in terms of creating local dimming on a screen that also supports Dolby vision in addition to HDR 10. And I believe they're adding across the line support for HDR 10 plus too. If you're dealing with the handful of titles out there that actually support that. Right. The cool thing for me is in addition to that dual cell LCD design is the fact that this thing should pump out up to a thousand nits, with its 4K resolution. It's going to be 75 inches only for their flagship U9DG. And it's looking at a $3,500 MSRP, which puts it up there in terms of cost for something in the mid 70 inch screen size, which is pretty crazy. I think more on the value side and what more people will be interested in is the U8G, mm-hmm. which is going to be an Android powered TV. If you look at what they did last year for their 8 series. Right. On the box, it said 1,000 nits, but if you actually measured it, it was closer to like 1,300. It gave you a little bit more bang for the buck in terms of you know what the stats actually said. This time around, they're claiming 1,500 nits, so a 50% jump up, but it could likely exceed that in actual testing, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. For the U8G series coming up, which should be available in the next few weeks, uh, 55 and 65 inch screen sizes, MSRP for the 55, $1300 MSRP for the 65, that I think is going to be the go-to TV for a lot of folks looking for maybe some alternative to say a TCL 6 series or another value slash performance style TV. Across the board, Hisense for their 2021 lineup going all the way from their U6 series up to the U9 DG series, it's going to be quantum dot color, which I am appreciative of, that gives them mm-hmm. about a 98% DCI-P3 color coverage, which is excellent for your HDR movies. Most of their TVs are powered by Android TV. They are introducing an 8K model this year, the U800GR, which will actually be equipped with Roku TV OS in addition to having its 8K resolution with its superb upscaling, I'm sure, that's specced for a 1,000 nits, and it will only be available in a 75-inch screen size at $3,200 MSRP. So if you're looking to jump on that 8K goodness, there you go. They have an mm-hmm. option for that. But for the rest of their lineup, including that cool... U9DG dual-cell ULED 4K TV. Those are going to be, I think, the fantasticos when it comes to uh, just value and performance. And at least as far as the, what will be the U7 series on up to the U9, they're all 120 Hertz panels. They'll all support your variable refresh rate and other low latency Mm -hmm. gaming centric features that are important going forward with some of the modern console gaming. I am just curious to see these actually end up in the hands of some reviewers for some good old testing because it seems that Hisense is pretty good on a yearly basis of upping the performance, making small changes, but every year they get a little bit better. I'm looking forward to actually getting eyes on the contrast performance of that U9 in addition to just seeing what a good value and how bright really will that U8 end up hitting, even though the screen sizes are, you know, popular-ish in terms of 55, 65, and 75 for at least some of the models. Still, I think it's going to be just a good lineup, <laughs> a good solid set of TVs to compare to even the best that are out there, especially at the prices they're talking about. And when you start talking about their super premium, the 8K U800 and the 4K U9 DG, those are well over $3,000 MSRP, so they have to right. be doing pretty well to really compete with you know the best of the best out there right now in lcd space which typically goes to samsung they are pretty damn good at making an lcd all things considered it was a good lineup a good presentation and it is going to be a nice year just to see their products in the show or in the store (laughs) so to speak so to speak exactly and speaking of (laughs) things i desire quite 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 incredibly, is a new gaming monitor. And if I could pick one, price no object, I would be buying the Asus Rog Swift PG32UQX. God, that name sucks. <laughs> this is their latest and greatest 4K HDR gaming monitor. It's a 32 inch 4K display, has 98% of DCI color thanks to a quantum dot backlighting system, 144 hertz with variable refresh rate and all the other good stuff. 1400. Peak knit brightness, that's, that's impressive. (laughs) <laughs> I want to see a real-world measurement of
0: that because that's, I mean, to put this into context, when they started doing the HDR-rated monitors at like 400, 600, or 1,000 nits, part of me was like, oh, this the monitor I was looking at the time was only 400 nits, and then I realized, or no, 600 nits, this monitor I was looking at, and then I realized that was actually brighter than the majority of the televisions sold in like 2017 or 2018, and I was just like, whoa, televisions aren't nearly as bright as we think they are. If this is 1,400 nits, that will physically hurt to look at during peaks.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Indeed. And that's a good point to bring up, too. It, the peak nit rating versus what can be sustained on screen for any length of time right. is usually less when you talk about a sustained peak brightness. But still, 1,400 peak nits. I've worked on plenty of 1,000-nit monitors, and in a darkened environment, they are extremely bright. Having over 1,100 mini LEDs in terms of providing full-array local dimming. That's really what makes this monitor pretty special and why it has a $3,000 price tag. Now you compare that to what Asus has put out before in their pro art series of pro monitors. They can right. go upwards of you dollars know, $4,500. $4, they're not 144 Hertz. They're typically around the thousand peak net rating for HDR. And they're really made more for artists and content creators in terms of producing either Dolby Vision content or HDR content let alone just doing standard SDR. This is really going to be, I think, the example, if you could point to, of a monitor that kind of does everything I could wish for in terms of its color coverage, having all the proper gaming specs, that incredible peak brightness, a sick mini LED backlighting system, all condensed into a 32-inch display that is... And apparently it's temporarily sold out. Oh, wait pre-order. If you go online right now, you'll see a few select reviewers out there with these monitors in their hands. And you can just tell when they're going through their show of this monitor, when they get to scenes with peak brightness on them, it can be difficult to even look at that spot of the screen. It is something that is, I think, as important as its color coverage in terms of providing that, that punch and that detail that effectively improving the contrast of what you're seeing. And it's going to be fan-freaking-tastic. However, at three grand, yikes. What I would hope for in the future, hopefully the near future, would be a, say, 27-inch version of this display that, of course, it would probably have fewer of the mini LED backlights, but if they could also do that at 1440p resolution rather than 4K, I think that would be an even better gaming monitor in the sense of having a monitor where you have a shot, actually, with modern hardware to actually approach the full refresh rate of the monitor. Right. Trying to game at 144 hertz or faster, generally speaking, <laughs> on a 4K display with a game configured in 4K in HDR, that will bring any system to its knees currently. Or you're going to be forced to simply turn back all the detail settings within your game in order right. to hit that that fluid 144 <laughs> hertz. But still... It's good to finally see something I've been eyeballing and it's like, I know they can do it. What's it going to cost? OK, it's three grand, at least in this initial yeah. <laughs> outlay of this for t- now. Incredible Asus ROG Swift technology.
0: I mean, you're basically talking about specs that are higher than the vast majority of televisions that have been sold or are currently being sold on a lot of that. It'll be fun to watch the reviews on that one too. Uh, other things coming out on the computer side of things, uh, Dell and Samsung are are releasing uh, OLED versions of laptops, uh, including the XPS 13. Is getting an OLED monitor. And uh, if you're curious, I mentioned uh, certified uh, display HDR displays, uh, VASIS certified display HDR displays. I'm trying to figure out if that's still a thing or if that's dying out already because oh, no. sometimes industry certifications do that. I would say uh, but not. DisplayHDR.org. Well, I, I mentioned that because... It seems like, you know, at least one of the largest monitor producers in the world is not
1: bothering with that. So I will talk to people and learn things and report back at another time. Well, Samsung did introduce another gaming monitor recently that they claim can hit 2000 nits. And there currently is no display HDR 2000 spec. Right. Yeah. I was just looking at the list of certified monitors and noticing
0: uh, at least one significant absence ah. uh, of new devices from one particular manufacturer, but... I want to learn more before opening my mouth. It's my goal in 2021. (laughs) I feel that. In case you were wondering, uh, uh, our friend Tom Merritt over at uh, Daily Tech News Show uh, likes to remind people, don't be completist. You don't need all of the services streaming into your house. Uh, It seems like most people probably aren't listening, myself especially. Media Play News is a great write-up. I'm just going to quote the first paragraph here. New data from Hub Research finds that the typical consumer accesses 5.7 different sources of TV content, including traditional pay TV service, all available streaming services, and over-the-air reception through an antenna. That number jumped by nearly one full service since 2020, and it's almost twice as high as it was in 2019. Wow. Um, now, I've had, you know, like, six-ish services for approximately forever, but everyone else is catching up. And,
1: you know, if it starts looking spendy, remember what Tom says. You don't have to have all the services. I usually float around four specific services at any given moment. Right. So, and I could probably name more than that, unfortunately. But all the ones you mentioned, I do use. (laughs) I I stream online. I use over-the-air reception. I take advantage of my disc players in addition to content even on a USB stick. So I, I'm taking it from everywhere and enjoying it as much as I can. Take it off. That's the
0: point. Just give up on sleep and you can see everything you want to watch. Oh. Bill emailed ask at So for cables, he writes, I took your advice. I have the 12-gauge speaker wire spool sitting right here. And as such, I'm on the Monoprice mailing list now. They just sent me a blurb about monolith multi-channel home theater power amplifiers. They look pretty solid. you have any experience with them? Seems weird to get a power amp from Monoprice. But hey, for the price, they look pretty good. And if I ever upgrade from my NAD-T742 pair to the ELAC W2.0s into the ELAC Unify or better, I'll need the power. Thoughts? Cheers, Bill. TLDR, I'd buy one of Monolith's amps in a heartbeat. Uh, It's funny that he sent this because they weren't supposed to be back in stock till June. Then they showed up last week. So that email from Monoprice was a surprise. Nice. Do yourself a favor, take the time to read Audioholic's review of Monolith's 7-channel amp. It's a 7 by 200 uh, watt amp. And seriously, if I was ready to replace the amps built into my Denon AVR, those Monolith amps would be on a very short list, along with ATI, who, oddly enough, builds the Monolith amps. Some other amps built by ATI... Uh, for other companies. And uh, there's some really interesting designs around Hypex and Purify Class D modules that are available from various manufacturers around the world. Those monolith amps are going to deliver more clean power for less money than just about anything I know of. And they rock a five-year warranty, which is a lot longer than you'll generally see on consumer electronics. And you'll probably never need that warranty. Uh, I own two ATI amps Again, they build the monoliths, and those monolith amps are essentially updates on some classic ATI class AB amplifiers. Uh, like the one I own, or the two I own. Big heat sinks, big droidal transformers, solid enclosures, ridiculous amounts of power. These amps will not tap out no matter what you throw them at. Uh, build quality is outrageous, and I mean that in a good way. My first ATI amp I bought off eBay. It was shipped to me kind of wrapped in a single unpadded layer of cardboard. Two of the corners on the face plates are dented a little bit with the anodizing missing because it was packed that poorly. So I opened up the case, I popped the RCA jacks out of the back because they had been sort. Sort of it had been dropped and they had whacked inside the back of the machine or the back of the enclosure, screwed them back in place because the RCA jacks have essentially a little tiny bolt kind of thing like a ring bolt that pulls the plastic RCA jack out through the back of the panel. Which means you know because it's plastic, if they get schwacked if you drop them, and a lot of their amplifiers weigh 90 or 125 pounds because there's so much copper inside of them, you can just pop it back out and fix it. And I actually stopped and I was admiring the layout. Um, they're built in in uh, northern california uh excuse me southern california in la and yes i mean i looked at the layout it was like flawless build quality screwed the cover back on and like five or six years later the thing still drives the hell out of anything i wire to it nice that amp's rated at 60 watts per channel 90 watts into four ohms i've got a five by 150 watt ati amp it's 73 pounds uh, it's ready to deliver 225 watts into a four ohm load. So, you know, this is insane amounts of clean power. They don't care if your speaker dips into the four ohm range or, or lives there. They'll just feed it the power it needs. Uh, ATI's built amps for Anthem, Crestron, Lexicon, Outlaw, Adcom, probably several others. Um, they're not the cheapest, but they're built in the USA and they have a really outstanding rep. I can't say I love everything Monoprice makes, but you're definitely good to go uh, with those Monolith amps. They are pretty solid, and the testing of them supports uh, my thoughts there.
1: It's a really amazing deal when they're in stock. I'm always impressed with the variety of gear that Monoprice sells nowadays. Yeah. Any, anytime I'm looking for just about any product, I now have a habit of going to the Monoprice site and see if they have a version of something I'm looking for, be it a security camera or an HDMI right. switch or let alone the basics. But for a while there, they were even doing musical instruments and other things like that. It is, a, <laughs> it is an amazing camping gear. collection of stuff. Yeah. I don't think I've seen yeah. camping gear yet, but... Don't quote me on that. It's probably there, and I just haven't found
0: it. (laughs) I feel like Amazon Basics exists because Amazon was annoyed
1: by Monoprice. It's a thought. I prefer Monoprice HDMI cables over just about anyone else, especially bulk purchases or just for a good cable that's well-labeled in terms Mm -hmm. of what its performance is and how easy it is to get a hold of in a variety of sizes that I really care about. And all the basic specs too. like, do you want a really thick cable or something a little thinner? (laughs) Actually, I was looking at fiber optic interconnect cables that use basically HDMI on each end with converter chips. But in between that, it's a fiber optic run. So these can be up to 100 feet long or so. And I tend to buy this one brand I actually found on Amazon. But I believe that Monoprice actually has their own brand now, or at least an in-house brand of a fiber optic style HDMI cable that's something i always always keep in the back of my mind just in case i ever need <laughs> it that one i had mentioned it has received significantly positive reviews overwhelmingly positive reviews for this cable so if you do need something let's say 40 50 plus feet long and right. it has to be good not only for your 4k hdr and all the audio formats but maybe even looking forward into something like 4k 120 or 8k these cables can handle it even though they are i believe the last I looked, it's something like it can get up to like three bucks a foot in depending on where you're looking. So it's definitely not as cheap as a regular HDMI cable, but it's something that just makes the setup a little more bulletproof, especially if you're dealing with long runs with high bandwidth and you just it don't solve certain problems. Sure does. <laughs> sure does.
0: <laughs> PD tweeted, I'm looking for Atmos front speakers with stands. I'm not able to mount them to walls or ceilings. In addition, the room has vaulted ceilings, so would I still have them firing upwards or just forward? Longtime follower, recent Patreon supporter. PD one, thank you for your support on patreon.com slash avxl. We appreciate that. Uh, two, you really don't want to put the speakers in the ceiling? No? Maybe? Could you? Big old ladder? Do it. No. Um, Okay, here's the the deal. You probably don't want up-firing or elevation speakers in that room. They're essentially designed and tuned. They want a flat ceiling, eight to nine feet above the floor, and your angled ceilings won't work. Popcorn ceilings won't work. Exposed joists won't work, and firing them forward will not work. In your situation, if you can't put them in the ceiling, uh, you want to mount them up fairly high and angle the speakers towards the seating position. Uh, SVS makes a speaker called the Prime Elevation. It's a great example of this. SVS makes fantastic subs. It makes solid speakers. And I think most important in this situation, they have a really smart mounting system for these speakers. And it's really, really simple. And that's something that's kind of critical uh, when you're hanging something heavy with sharp edges off the wall ask me why I think so. They also give you a 45-day trial period, um, which is cool. SVS actually has what they call their Bill of Rights for customers. They give you a 45-day trial period on that, so something worth considering. There's several speakers out there. Atmos speakers in general are very, very similar to surround sound speakers. Uh, they're just mounted in a different location in the room. The elevation speakers, I've heard differing reports whether or not they are tweaked compared to the standard surround sound speakers. I would try to angle speakers towards the listening position, Uh uh, up as high as you can get them. If I could not mount them in the
1: ceiling, right. If you don't have a flat ceiling, yeah, I would go a different route. When we say flat, by the way, popcorn ceilings don't work. True. You know, <laughs> not all flat ceilings are the same. You need a clean bounce. I feel it's like if I can't do Atmos properly, then I am just going to make sure I have the best five-one or seven-one or seven-two sure. setup I can do. And that is going to be a fantastic experience either way. Yes, I do appreciate properly done height channels in the ceiling pointing down. Those sound great as well. If the room ain't working for you, yeah, yeah, don't fight it too hard and spend a bunch of money you may just regret spending. In the end, <laughs> you mentioned SVS's is uh, 45 day free trial period. Right. You know, they're making good speakers if they're willing to do that. It's like, oh, yeah. you're going to get this in your house. And uh, yeah, there's Chances. a comfort level. There. Chances are you're not going to want to let go of it. Yeah. They also, by the way, offer a five year
0: unconditional warranty. While we're expressing love for companies with with good warranties, let us throw some love in the direction of SVS. Jamie tweeted, do you think it's worth it to go from the Epson 4010 to the Epson 5050UB? Keep up the great work, guys. Well, thank you, Jamie. Man, these uh, these projectors have a lot in common, right? They're both 1080p native LCD, uh, what I affectionately refer to as Faux, FAUX. They do pixel shifting to deliver 4K. It's fantastic looking 4K. The first time I saw the 5050UB was right after seeing some incredibly expensive 4K projectors, 4K UHD projectors, and it did a very, very good job. They look the same, these two projectors, the 4010 and the 5050UB. They have the same plastic enclosure uh, with slightly different... I think one has sort of a gold band around the lens and the other one has a silver band and it's painted Uh, Epsom says they have the same lens system they're within a couple of uh, hundred lumens of each other the 5050 is 2600 lumens the 4010 is 2400 lumens Uh, they both support HDR10 the 50-50, though, gets Epson's uh, ultra-black technology, uh, or at least that's what they call it, right? It's UB. a fantastic marketing term, UB. And that means the blacks are blacker. You're not going to mistake a fifty fifty UB for an OLED TV. You're not going to mistake an $8,000 projector from JVC for an OLED TV, although you get a lot closer to it. The 5050 UB also has significantly higher contrast. Like in the mythical contrast ratings that are generated by manufacturers, and I'm not trying to slag Epson because, in, and we've talked about this in the past, there are some very creative ways of measuring contrast. But just to put this into perspective, Epson ranks the 4010 at 200,000 and the 5050 UB at a million. The relationship of that number, which I didn't even, <laughs> I should probably. I should probably use the actual uh, metric
1: for measuring contrast. I think your point, though, about the UB being the best, <laughs> one of the very best yeah. sub $3,000 projectors you can do for a darkroom environment where you, right. you, you can appreciate that extended contrast. Yeah. Because if both projectors apparently have about the same peak brightness... It's which one can do better black levels. And it's the UB, without a doubt. And if you do not have that room that can really get super dark, then, like you said, the 4010 is going to be just fine. Projector Central does a really, really great comparison between these two projectors. and. For
0: these two, and specifically why I personally paid my own money to buy a 5050UB, was about dark scenes and black backgrounds. My old projector uh, was old. It was very, very bright. It was fantastic for a bright room. But it was killing me in scenes because there's a lot of space in my movies, a lot of inky dark in space. And it was an inky gray in space. And I'd seen some OLED TVs, and I was pining. You know, space with stars, bats in the bat cave, 5050UB is killer. Everything else is way, way, way more subtle between the 4010 and the 5050UB. Yeah, uh, I turn off literally almost every light in our basement to get the benefits of the 5050UB. If you don't have a dark room, if you don't pine for the inky blackness of space, and even if you do, I would probably say hold fast for the next generation of 4K projectors uh, if you already have the 4010. It's a fair chunk of change to buy that new projector i don't expect epson to update the 5050 ub anytime soon but i feel like somebody at some point has to deliver a sub five thousand dollar projector that delivers sort of the next level of blackness and contrast and by the way no projector that is uh, remotely affordable
1: or any projector that i know of is actually dolby vision kind of certified at this point none yeah that's one so. thing you get HDR, but that's about it. And at least with some of the latest projectors I've seen from JVC and others, they're putting in dynamic tone mapping. So right. You're not constantly changing your projector setup for each individual on a per movie basis, rather than just having a decent preset that can handle a variety of HDR content and make that look great for you. Right. I also just want to throw out that you should never take any of these lumen output ratings seriously. <laughs> All of these <laughs> foolish companies are posting their results using the dynamic mode with right. in every projector I've seen in the last decade is insanely green and unusable. And it isn't until you get into the calibrated modes or a calibrated picture setup that you'll find that you're getting nowhere near what their peak brightness is, but it's still plenty of light output. It's good for relative comparisons, but Don't expect anything running, say, a 350-watt lamp module to do anything different than any other projector running a 350-watt lamp module. (laughs) It can change quite a bit, like in the case of the 5050UB, in terms of how well they manage the light through the light path of the projector and producing better black levels. That's the big difference. Or someone like JVC with their own projector technologies that make that look just so fantastic and why there's a premium for those particular projectors. Why? Why?
0: Yep, we digress. Good question for Robert. <laughs> Yay. I'm entirely too uh, cynical about this one. Alex tweeted, so I have a new LG CX. I've calibrated it with Calman LG and a Display Pro. Now I want to get the most out of it. Which has better picture quality, Apple TV or native apps?
1: Technically, they should be the same. Technically. Any source device <laughs> should be spitting out yeah. content that was authored in a very similar way. If the TV is calibrated, then whatever you connect to it, as long as the settings haven't been played with on the connected source device and it's just outputting, you know, whatever it says in the media file, they should be identical and they shouldn't be out of whack going from one device to another. Most of our source devices are effectively perfect, and that includes your game consoles, disc players, especially if it's, you know, the default picture modes. If you've gone in and made a bunch of changes in the settings for your source device, all bets are off. But any of these devices. Yeah. Uh, The devices themselves, the sources that we receive and gather our video and get it onto the display. Generally, they're all the same. They're all using similar chipsets, similar output. Everything's done to standard. And it's really more about just making sure the display is in its proper mode. The source device isn't doing anything weird and you should get terrific picture quality. There you have it. Yeah. You do have to be careful though, especially switching between native apps and something that's connected to an HDMI port, say like an Apple TV, is that you're using similar picture presets. That's the most important thing. And then if you have calibrated a particular picture preset, some TVs may also have a function where it's like, is this calibrated picture preset just for this input or is it for all inputs? Double check that when you go to your apps, especially the built-in TV apps, that it isn't suddenly using a different preset than what you might expect. You just have to double check all your presets at least once to make sure that they're engaging the proper one for your particular viewing environment. I find that once I set up a TV and I've gone through and watched content, be it SDR, HDR, or Dolby Vision, and I've made all those adjustments once, you generally never have to touch it again unless there's a reason to for, you know, maybe a changing room environment or something. But yeah, the source devices are very consistent. It's really kind of a nice thing about calibration. It's like once you get the display right. <laughs> now that includes PCs too. PCs are a whole yeah. different ballgame in its differences from video content. The right. ranges and other things, it can make it more challenging to make video from a PC device look good on some displays. Things are so much better than they used to be. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's what I got to say. That's all I have to say about that. AJ Smith
0: tweets, is there a cheap way to sync TVs in different rooms for sports? I.e., I would like to avoid one room from seeing the winning play before the other. Over the air seems to be the best when the event is offered there. Cable and streaming get tricky. Um, Well, you know, if you have a DVR kind of device, then uh, uh, over the air can get confounded, too. Uh, I was laughing. So it's like, "Okay, you got to get rid of every box in the house disable all the apps and all the televisions one source box a bunch of hdmi splitters one remote and lots of very long hdmi cables or hdmi distribution and then my next line in the script is mock me now roberts
1: (laughs) i don't have an easy or cheap way to do what this person's asking aj smith uh because like you mentioned the sources can be from different places if you're watching it over the air generally and it's live right that's Generally, you're gonna see it faster than everyone, including the cable satellite set top boxes usually that have more latency built into those, and let alone if you've hit the pause button on something and, and uh, trying to get that all to sync to various rooms in a house with different sources, that, right that's not is a nightmare. If everything's using over-the-air antennas, then everything's getting that live feed as is at the same time, and that's generally pretty close. I think your idea of just doing a distribution system within a home would be one way to do it. And sure enough, our good friends over at Monoprice have several options for if (laughs) maybe your house is already pre-run with Cat5 cable or Cat6 or whatever, networking gear, you can actually do distribution of HDMI through those systems. And then that could be your new one cable to rule them all type thing in order to get everything synced up just properly. But that, you know, there's a little. You also have to lock up everyone's cell phones. (laughs)
0: no pausing (laughs) oh my goodness Brian tweeted, I was trying to find a calibrator to calibrate my JVC NX7. I talked to a few people months ago, but no one was touring due to COVID. Do you know of any calibrators that are working now and can visit Indianapolis? We are all fully vaccinated at this point, so I thought I would look again. Uh, so if anybody uh, in that Chicago, Indianapolis kind of region, um, do us a favor, email ask an AV or tweet at Patrick Norton at Robert Herron. If you know a calibrator in the Indianapolis area, it is currently working because uh, we got some, we got work. We got work for them.
1: Oh, yeah. In the Indianapolis area. If you also check out AVS forum in their display calibration forum, the very top PIM post is where our calibrators located? And they keep a running tally of everyone out in the field and where they live and where they service and where they offer their services. So that's always a good first spot to go mm-hmm. if you have no other options. Oh, it's great. ISF calibrators, where are you
0: located? Please post here. Uh, that is a mighty list. <laughs> <laughs> that is a mighty list. <laughs> it's 247 freaking pages long.
1: Oof. So. JVC NX7. Mm, I like calibrating JVC stuff. It looks so good. Yeah, it's pretty nice.
0: Oh, wait. No. Um, Oh,
1: well, in any case,
0: <laughs> I just saw one. Oh, I closed the window too quickly. Someone, there's at least someone calibrating in
1: Indianapolis. Um, how's Perfect Tunes going for you? Well, after backing up my NAS box full of CD audio encodes from the CD to FLAC, I have this huge library of every disc I've ever had. Upon your recommendation, I ran through Perfect Tunes. <laughs> well, first, I was just hearing some of the tracks had issues with the encodes. Uh, they just didn't yes. sound right. And I was like, okay, that uh, I replay the file, it plays the same weird way. I figured there was a problem with the file. But I don't want to go through 10,000 freaking 11,000 freaking tracks one by one trying to figure out what that was and is it the whole album? Is it is it a problem right. with this, that or the other? Went and purchased Perfect Tunes. I think it cost me 35 bucks. Let me give you a recommendation right now. If you've ever shopped with the folks over at DB Power Amp, go check your profile first before you just throw down the money. Because after I purchased Perfect Tunes, I went into my profile and it says, hey, we've got several offers for you that have been sitting here for months. One of them was Perfect Tunes for half off. And I was like, oh, <laughs> But anyway, Perfect Tunes identified, I want to say like 130 tracks that were like, you need to recheck these. So I have now rebacked up my failing NASA's audio collection. Now it's a matter of going through it and checking them and fixing those particular tracks that are not quite ripped properly. The other nice thing is Perfect Tunes included album art in terms of searching through all your files and either mm-hmm. updating or making sure the album art is in place properly so everything looks consistent. That I really appreciated and that was automated across the board. It's basically, hey, we found something that's missing artwork or hey, this artwork isn't what should be right. like, what was on the CD cover, that kind of stuff. And that worked really well too. And while I was at it, I updated DB Power Amp itself to the latest version, I think it's 17.3 now and wow that's improved quite a bit especially the metadata gathering and analyzing yeah. it now utilizes up to i believe 5 or more sources it looks at what the results are from all those sources and if like 3 agree and 2 don't it'll go with whatever the most recommended version of that labeling process is and it does a very great job at it and that was just uh that was another nice <laughs> update for the rip station 3000 or whatever the hell I'm using now, but hey, <laughs> I'm simply thankful I have a workstation with an optical drive in it, let alone I see everyone building new computers and nobody has optical drives anymore in any of their systems. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I still need a, I need one drive at least. <laughs> so, I'm I'm laughing because I can see the original Ripstation
0: 2000, which I think by the time I update all the Blu-ray drives will be like the Ripstation 6000, but I set it up so I could rip eight or nine CDs simultaneously on that with uh, DB Power Amp's Batch Ripper. Uh, DB Power Amp is essentially uh, ripping and encoding, and it is a fantastic application, and Perfect Tunes complements it. One of the things that's really nice about it is Accurate Rip, which looks at your rip of a CD versus... um, Everyone else's.
1: Everyone else's, (laughs) yeah. I don't know, yeah. It's a really good way to describe it. It uses something like a crc checksum file and hey if yours doesn't match what everyone else did then there may be an issue with that particular encode yeah i've also had very very old cds like the very first release of an old disk That's no longer, it wasn't the one that became popular. Maybe it was like five or 10 years later, they did a re-release where it's technically the same album, but it doesn't have the same CRC checksums. I've had whole albums fail through that process using the older versions of DB Power Amp. Right. And it was still fine. It was just never, that version of that disc was never uploaded into their database. And so I provided that info as well. I will say their database, as somebody who has a lot of obscure punk bands and ska bands, their database is pretty impressive. But you can't have that happen where it's like, (laughs) your stuff is a mess. Uh, And I was rolling with an older version of DB Power Amp, a registered version. I think it was version 12. And what got me to finally update that was the fact that the metadata tagging and sources were no longer working the way they used to. And I got to say just that, uh, that alone was worth it doing the upgrade just to have this new, they have a special name for what their metadata tool is now called that I cannot remember off the top of my head, but the fact that it's using all these sources simultaneously, and it's doing some sort of a logical comparison between these sources to give you the The most accurate track naming features possible is just uh, it's nice. It's working really well and I'm digging it and it's got me back into music exploration all over again, which is fun. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing.
0: Odd Thought, the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory,
1: uh, Gene Wilder
0: being Gene Wilder, which is kind of glorious. It's coming to 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray June 29th. Disney Plus moved Loki's launch to Wednesday, June 9th. That's going to be on Disney Plus. The original 1986 Top Gun, uh, the summer of my first driver's (laughs) license, uh, will hit 150 uh, AMC Tolby cinemas for one week starting May 13th. That would be the 35th anniversary. Uh, In theory, Top Gun Maverick will hit November this year, I think November 21st, which is long after uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings launches on September 3rd or Black Widow on July 9th, uh, all of which are great big Marvel productions.
1: Um, I would just say real quick, if you are anticipating returning to the movie theaters this summer and you have never experienced a Dolby Cinema and there is one within reach of you please go check it out that is the still the finest most impressive display technology i have seen period in terms of color and light output and contrast even it's even more impressive that it's in such a commercial environment it's just a fantastic experience and generally too with the dolby cinema theaters you're getting the upgraded seating and the upgraded sound and oh, i it, it's what got <laughs> me to go back to movie theaters and i totally appreciate it we watched uh, *The Biggest Little Farm*. My my wife is a really hardcore gardener, and she was also uh, had
0: had just one too many movies involving explosions. We watched *The Biggest Little Farm*, which is uh, about a couple and a group of people around them that resuscitate a uh, I want to say like a 200 acre farm up in Ventura County, north of L. A. It is an amazing movie. It is heart lifting and wonderful and has a lot to say about uh,
1: making dirt live again, which is something that's a big part of our lives right Nice. Now. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It is awesome. Well, I finally traded in my MLB TV account for a MotoGP account, and I'll get into that in a minute. But for anybody who's a baseball fan, uh, realize that every team, at least all my local teams, they have a website right. link where I can click on it and listen to the game live with the radio announcers with, you know, it's got the commercials and everything else, but I'm finding myself using my phone as like an old school radio in the backyard, listening to a baseball game or just leaving it running (laughs) in the background. And that is free and you can take advantage of that. Also, for MotoGP, I that is what I have basically put all my MLB TV money into for this season. It cost me about one hundred and sixty dollars, I think, for the whole season. But it includes the main MotoGP event as well as Moto2 and there may be a Moto3 all that aside, there is an electric motorcycle league now. Their E Series, and it is hella cool. And these races are insanely short. the uh, The last one I just watched uh, last weekend was eight laps long, and it was balls to the wall crazy. It's it, these bikes have so much torque. They're effectively right. set up like a Moto GP bike, but because of the limited battery supply they're only racing for eight laps. And is it an impressive eight laps? And the craziest thing is the sound you're used to literally unmuffled motorcycle <laughs> engines. Yeah. Going crazy. But these, it's just that, that subtle one <laughs> <wine. laughs> and, a, and the, the wind sound, but otherwise the performance and the setups yeah. are very similar to what the regular MotoGP bikes have and it. It's pretty damn cool. And I'm really, really enjoying that. And of course, Yay. uh, On the disc front, they live. The John Carpenter classic from years gone by has been fully remastered in UHD 4K. And I had to own that disc. And it is currently sitting in my mailbox right now. And I'm going to go grab that later today. And it will give me a good excuse to whip out the Blu-ray player and get that hooked up on my freshly calibrated OLED screen and give it a good look. Shout
0: Factory did that one, right? I mean, it's crazy because there's a Dolby Atmos soundtrack along with 5.1 and and 2.0. Roddy Piper and John Carpenter do the audio commentary on that one. That's a really
1: nice shout factory has been doing some really cool stuff lately. Also, if you've Um, never seen that movie, it's worth watching once it's kind of a classic. (laughs) It's got the, uh, the societal message in addition to just some incredible, well, very cool fight scenes and some one-liners that are just like the best. (laughs) It's, it's definitely worth watching once if you've never seen it before. That's a, that's a good, good view. Be one of the people. It's waiting for you. It is. They
0: live. (laughs) Obey. We're waiting for you, by the way, on the Internet. (laughs) Tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick at AVXL. If you want to use a hashtag, hashtag AskAVXL works for us. Uh, Even in Great Britain, I would like to point out. Nice. Thank you. (laughs) There's a viewer out there who's probably giggling while they hear that. Uh, Best way, as always, to get a, a bigger question to us is to... Email ask at avxl.com and, uh, you know, tweeting at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton works pretty well too. So, uh, if you want to support us, please become a patron at patreon.com slash avxl. Uh, you, uh, your contribution, your monthly contribution, uh, helps make the show possible for us and to phrase our production expenses and the cost of the, the bits and all that good stuff. So thank you to each and every one of our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. But oh, that, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.